Hi, I'm the Renaissance Man, Jalen Rose, and welcome to this week's podcast. This week's theme is leadership is an action, not a position, featuring NBA commissioner Adam Silver. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. This week's theme is leadership is an action, not a position. Let me tell you some of my favorite leaders throughout history. Some I knew others I looked up to, some a little bit of both. How about Martin Luther King? I just remember memorizing the I Have a Dream speech and realized all of the sacrifices that he made by wanting to peacefully protest for the rights of the disenfranchised in sports. One is Muhammad Ali. Stood for nothing, fall for anything. For a black man to box and say, I'm pretty. I'm a bad man. Oh, he gave so much confidence to so many of us. And I want to make sure I pay homage to the best leader that's ever walked the face of this earth. My dear mother, Jeannie Cassandra Rose. My mom's leadership taught me sacrifice, hard work, and never complain about anything. I never met my biological father growing up. And guess how many times we talked about him? None. My definition of leadership, I can sum it up in a phrase that always sticks to me when I get confused. And basically, it goes like this. Just close your eyes for a second and visualize what I'm about to say. I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are so loud. I'm going to repeat it. I can't hear what you're saying. Because your actions are so loud. That's how I sum up leadership. It ain't do as I say, not as I do. But it's also understanding that those people that you're trying to reach, you have to say it and deliver it in a way that it can be received. And so you got to realize some people need a pat on the back. Others need a kick in the butt. For example, some of the best leaders that I've been around were actually my basketball coaches. High school coach Perry Watson always talked about life balance, taking care of business in the classroom, taking care of business in the community. And the one thing about leadership is they trust you to be who you are in order to give you an opportunity to flourish. Look no further than my college coach, Steve Fisher. I wasn't a point guard in high school. I played multiple positions. When I got to Michigan, he wanted me to be the point guard for a couple of reasons. He trusted my decision making and he felt like he wanted me to be the leader. And I knew that was a big responsibility and I didn't take it for granted. And the thing that I learned from that, and it still sticks with me to this day, that leaders trust their pupils to actually lead. 
My next guest is an amazing leader, the best commissioner in professional sports. And up next, commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver. Welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast. This week's theme is leadership is in action, not a position. My next special guest is not only one of my favorite people in sports, but he's also the commissioner of the NBA. Please welcome Adam Silver to the program. Thank you very much for joining me. Does the audience cheers get inserted later? <laughs> Absolutely. You know we give the people what they want. All right. <laughs> we now see you as the leader of the NBA. When did you first fall in love with the game? I first fell in love with the game when I was about eight, nine years old. My parents got divorced. I lived outside of New York City, and my dad moved into the city full time, and he bought Knicks season tickets. And that, that was the activity that I did with my father. I'd take the train in and then go to the garden with him. And I think so. I love the game basketball. I mean, I played it as a kid, but I think that's how I remember those experiences with my father, particularly like even to this day, Madison Square Garden feels special to me for that reason when I walk in there. But, th but that's how I fell in love with the game. Who was your favorite player growing up? Clyde. I had those Puma Clydes, too. Walt Frazier. The legend. He had a legendary goatee as well. He's still rocking it. He's wearing the same outfits, too. Yes, he is. Yes, he <laughs> is. Definitely a throwback and a legend. How about that same draft that he came out in? My biological father, Jimmy Walker, was the number one pick in that draft. That's right. What a year. I have never been more proud of the NBA. As you guys professionally handled the bubble, there were 29 messages on the back of jerseys. Black Lives Matter was on the floor. What was it like for you as the commissioner of the league to see your NBA and WNBA players be such game-changing agents in their communities? I was proud to be part of this league. I am proud to be part of this league. You know, and I, I was frankly amazed at the players. I, I think given that all, all that was going on in society you know, with the pandemic, personal health issues for family members of, of many of our players dealing with their communities, you know, then all the concern about finding a way to come back to play. I mean, now in retrospect, obviously we had zero cases in the bubble, but but guys were, were understandably very nervous about the protocols going in, about leaving their families behind, about being isolated over that period of time. And then on top of that, the social justice movement. And I, I think it demonstrated more than ever something that, that we know by virtue uh, you know, of being around this league for a long time, that how multi-talented, multi-dimensional our players really are. I, I mean, I understand that how the public in many cases is focused on that particular skill that players have, and, and that's what makes them known. But when you get to know people, and this, of course, isn't unique to basketball players, it's about anyone, regardless of where they are in life, that they have their own story. And just, like, you know, asking me where I, where I grew up or, you know, what, you know what, what situations have they been through in their lives? And I think given all that was going on, you know, I think that they were able to continue playing basketball at the highest level, which they did down in the bubble. But at the same time, 
you know, demonstrating how much they cared about their communities and engaging directly on these critically important issues. So, so I'd say that the word that stands out was just proud. I felt the exact same way. And going into this season, on paper, it's a 72-game schedule. And I looked from top to bottom, and I feel like this is as enthusiastic as I've been going into a year. And I feel like that because I'm excited even about the teams that didn't make the playoffs. What's going to happen with the Pelicans and Zion? Trey Young, what kind of leap is he going to take as a player? John Morant, how enthusiastic are you to kick off the 2020-21 season? I'm enormously enthusiastic in part because, I mean, what, what brought me to this league was my love of the game. And at the end of the day, obviously, that's what it's really about. And I think, you know, you have eight teams in the league that haven't played since last March, but of course, weren't down in Orlando. You've got a whole new class of rookies that come in, have come into the league. You've got some player movement and players who just can't wait to get back on the floor. I mean, it, it reminds me that as we try to balance, as everyone is during a pandemic, the health and safety issues of all of us and employees in particular industries, but, but balancing those issues against, of course, economic issues. And the fact is, this, this is not something unique in any way to NBA players, is that people want to work. You're working right now. I'm working right now. Mm-hmm. It, it defines, I mean, it's economically critical, of course, but for many of us, it defines who we are. And that's just as true, of, of course, of NBA basketball players. And so, while you know, we're, we're cautiously proceeding because just in, as the bubble was new to us, now playing in home arenas, it requires a new set of protocols and in, in many ways, an entirely new approach. But at the same time, I know because I've talked to so many guys around the league and obviously we're back now, we're playing preseason games. Guys are just thrilled to be back. And for me, this is exactly where the league deserves to be. You have the superpowers, as I call them. Story franchises like the Lakers, defending champions with LeBron and AD. You have Kawhi and PG. You have KD and Kyrie. But you also have Giannis re-signing with the Bucks. So did Steph Curry with the Warriors. So did Dame Lillard. How important is it for the league to have all NBA caliber players continue to flourish with the teams that either drafted them or the ones they starred with? Jalen, you you know, from a league standpoint, we don't make a secret out of it, which is why we negotiated for a collective bargaining agreement that gives the incumbent team a huge advantage in re-signing their own player. More money, more years. Now, it has to be balanced, of course, against guys' desire and right to become free agents at a certain point. But I think just as the most recent signing or re-signing of Giannis, that that's the way the system was designed to work. That If a player is in a situation where he's having success, and obviously, you know, he's had enormous success personally, the team has in terms of regular season record. They haven't, of course, gotten to the championship yet, which is what they aspire towards, just like every other team. But I think, again, from the league office standpoint, when you see a really well-managed team like the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, just in the last few years, they have a brand new arena that came online you know, relatively new ownership group there and they do a fantastic job, you know, in the community as well. So, you know, that's what we want to see. And as well, we're a 30-team league, you know, it, 
I feel for those other teams that that now aren't going to get the shot at Giannis that that the system is designed for guys to stay and then and again finding that that right balance and and most importantly to have a competitive 30 team league and not just a few select teams it means that that not that guys don't deserve and have the right to become a free agent at a certain point but you want guys ultimately to make their decisions based on what they see as the quality of opportunity in a market and money is part of that but also what their belief in management's ability you know to get them that championship quality of life is important but and when it comes to quality of life some people like bigger cities some people like smaller cities i mean and Giannis has gone out of his way over the years to say he actually likes the fact that it's a bit quieter there than it may be in some other cities and so i so anyway i'm thrilled for him i'm i'm thrilled for their organization i think i think they deserve each other and and now they still obviously have a lot they want to accomplish on the court so of course each player that laces them up wants to win as many championships as bill russell or be like mike but I always get frustrated with media members and fans only dismiss a player's career into ring count. So I know you hear it as a fan of the game and somebody grew up watching and loving the league. What do you say to those who try to dismiss what Giannis and players like that are accomplishing Dame Lillard by just acknowledging, well, they haven't won a championship yet? My reaction is to get into the game. And when you study it and you study what particular players do, those are often the same people who want to point out that this is a team game and that one player, you know, <laughs> has to give up the ball and pass and everything else. All, all those qualities of the game that we love, that those Nick teams that I fell in love with, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the 60s and early 70s. And, you know, just like in life, again, it's not that different, you know, You've had tremendous success, you know, on the court, off the court. I was fortunate to sort of end up working as a young man at the NBA and then lasted long enough to become commissioner. But I also recognize I could have just as easily made a different turn along the way or not had a mentor like David Stern, who saw something in me that enabled me to work for him for 22 years before I came became the commissioner. So just like I don't think you know, we should be judged just based on what we have accomplished. It's part of who we are, but there's lots of people out there who could do far greater things than we have if they were given the same opportunities. And I think it's the same with players. There's, of course, I think guys should be credited to win championships. I don't want to take anything away from them. But at the same time, there's guys out there who toil away, work harder than anyone else in the league. And it may be because of an injury that they suffered or maybe an injury a teammate suffered or just maybe one of those things. So, I mean, I, I think it's just part of the game. I, I don't think we should be afraid to talk about it. I mean, I, you know, fans, you know, of course, if you're a fan of a particular team, you want them to root all out for championships, but you also want them to fall in love with everything else about this, the game itself, about who the players are, about their individual stories, about team play. So that, that's my reaction. And I'm glad you mentioned the late, great David Stern. And that leads into my next question, because as I mentioned, this episode is called Leadership is an Action, Not a Position. Who are some of the leaders that you admire and modeled your leadership style after? I, of course, begin with David. I worked for, for 22 years, and we became incredibly close. 
And then in the, you know, five years plus before he passed, when I was commissioner, we also talked on a regular basis. He certainly, you know, never hesitated to give me any advice. I mean, there, there are, you knew him well. I say this with a smile. There's some things that I do differently than our friend David did, but I learned so much from him. I mean, and he was, he was of a different era. What I say about David, I have no doubt that, you know, the situation he faced when he became commissioner in the 80s was so different than the situation I found myself in in 2004 when I became commissioner. So I think he would have adjusted for the times. And there was, I think at that point, the, where the league was, where, as you know, we were on tape delay finals. You know, mm-hmm. I think he had to break a little China <laughs> to, yes. to, to move yes. the league forward. But again, I, I think of lessons I learned from him virtually every day. I mean, others sort of more of the modern era, certainly Bob Iger, CEO of Disney now, um, the mm. chairman of the board, recently stepped down as the day-to-day CEO, but he's someone that people may not know, but his wife, Will Obey, was the co-host of Inside Stuff yes. and worked with me at NBA Entertainment in the early 90s. So we actually became friends right before she even met Bob. But then I became very close to Bob over the years. He's also someone who's always available to give advice. I mean, just also just to watch him from a distance on how he handles himself. I mean, someone else, I hope it's not even presumptuous of me to say his name, but President Obama. Mm -hmm. I happen to be reading his autobiography right now. I think he's just a fascinating person. I've had the opportunity through the league to meet him on a few occasions. We know he's an enormous NBA fan. Yeah. The way he conducts himself, you know, he's clearly a role model for me. I'm just one other, I think just the, the CEO, former CEO of American Express recently stepped down, Ken Chenault, someone again who I really always appreciated his temperament, how he treated other people, the sort of how he faced issues. I mean, I, I could go on with some more, but those are just a few. And I've been, I've been very fortunate in my career that I think because the NBA, although relatively small business, has a big footprint. So I get to come and get to come, you know, intersect with lots of other leaders. By the way, I can't start down the list of team owners because I'd leave somebody out, but <laughs> I'd add them to the list. Many of them CEOs of huge businesses outside of the NBA in their own right. So again, I've learned from lots of people. Commissioner Silver, we're starting a new season this year without a bubble. What are some of the challenges can we anticipate going into this year with the players? You know, the challenge one, two, and three is COVID. You know, it's, it's you know, in the bubble, there were a lot of sacrifices that were made. But at the end of the day, we felt pretty confident in our protocols that if you, in essence, quarantine before you came into the bubble and then were tested on a daily basis there, it was highly unlikely we'd have COVID spread and even and pretty unlikely that even we'd have a single case. Of course, it turned out we had no cases, which is better than we even thought it would be. But now playing outside of a bubble, we have many of the same protocols in place in terms of our practice facilities and arenas. Again, daily testing. In some cases, we will be doing daily testing, PCR testing, overnight testing, but also rapid testing. So it could even in some cases be more than one test a day. But guys will be living at home. And when you're living at home, even when guys are living very conservative lives and doing everything we could ask of them, they often, players of the age in the league, you know, typically or often have young children. Those children 
maybe in school. Many schools are open. They're open here in New York. So their children are coming in contact with other children who may have been infected by a family member. It may be that they live with people who are out working and may come in contact with this virus. So we know from, you know, we've been public about the number of cases we had when guys reported to camp. I mean, you know, roughly 50 positives when guys came in, and that's from living their lives outside of a bubble, outside of our protocol, that just as we've seen in the NFL, just as we saw in Major League Baseball when they were operating outside of a bubble, we're going to get some positive cases. And, and I think that the challenge is then, of course, making sure that those guys, I mean, I mean, fortunately, young, healthy people have generally done well with this disease. I mean, they're, they're, of course, they're tragic cases as well, but at least statistically, generally, and we've seen that with the, the players in our league who who have tested positive and, and had COVID. But, you know, it's, it's then going to be once, if we do have a positive case, ensuring that we have in place a system where we can quickly separate that player or staff member from other members of the organization so spread does not occur sort of on our on our watch so we're we're learning as we go i mean there's a lot that we have a better understanding of based on what the nfl and baseball have done but of course one of the big differences were indoors and we all know from cdc from other you know government agencies and rules they've put in place that you know indoor transmission is more prevalent, you know. So, so we're going to learn as we go. But that health, those health and safety concerns are are at the top of our list. Well, like you, I'm extremely proud to be a part of this NBA family. I want everybody to make sure you support the NBA. It's coming back December 22nd. Make sure you're watching Christmas Day. We have five big games on ABC and ESPN. I'm excited to be there all day. And before I let you get out of here, next Commissioner Silver, let's get into Gone in 60 Seconds, presented by Tri-State Cadillac Dealers. I'll try to go faster. I apologize. <laughs> no problem at all. First question. I've never seen you without a fresh body. So how often do you get it cut? <laughs> Not as often as you might think. It, it, it doesn't even grow that fast anymore. So, um, and my, my personal barber has been my wife these days. Um, I'm not going to show you some of the little marks on the back of my head, but um, about once a week these days. During non-COVID times, I'm going to take you back to some good memories. What arena has the best food? Hmm. You know, but actually, Milwaukee's up there because they got some pretty good specialty foods in the region. That may be one of the secrets to Giannis stand that we didn't know about. So you're a Duke alum. Give me your favorite Duke basketball player of all time. I'm going to go, because I'm older, I'm going to go back a little bit. So when I was at Duke, the, the two big stars when I got there were Mike Jaminski and Gene Banks. Mm. You know, who both had, you know, really nice NBA careers and were bigger than life on the Duke campus. And that's the other one I got to throw in, just because he's one of my bosses now, is Grant Hill. Yes. As you know, is one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks. Yes. And so, and so Grant's been one of my favorites over the years, too. But I like all those other guys as well. You also received your law degree from the University of Chicago. Speaking of law, which new rule would you like to see put into basketball law? Well, the rule that we just put in place that I've been pushing for for a while was a coach's challenge. Mm. I do think, though, it needs some additional tweaking. 
we were gonna make some additional changes for this year. For example, most of the coaches feel it's unfair that if it's a successful challenge, you still lose the challenge. And we've been trying to balance the use of the challenge against not adding a lot more stoppages to the game. So coaches challenge is the rule, but I think it still needs a little bit more work. Three more and I'll let you get out of here. Favorite, ready for this one? Favorite rapper. Jay-Z, another, <laughs> another former boss. Now, of course, was part owner of the Brooklyn Nets, you know, um, but but still still love his music, still see him around town, and hope he comes back into the league. Absolutely. Away from basketball, who's your favorite commissioner of all time? Jalen, just because we spoke to him already, I know I'm cheating because you said away from basketball, but it has to be David Stern. I agree. I agree. No question about it. And last but not least, you did a terrific job by surviving. What U.S. city would you like to see host an NBA team next? Again, I try to be a bit politic here. There are a bunch of cities out there that would be fantastic hosts. But I'm going to say Seattle because Mm. I was in this league for many years while Seattle still had a team. Mm-hmm. And we were all sad. We understood the circumstances, but we're sad. We were all sad to see. And I know I speak for, for, you know, David as well, that that was just, it was an unfortunate set of circumstances that led to that team leaving. And it still remains a great market. I know I hear from fans of the old Sonics fans in Seattle all the time. And so there's no doubt when we do turn back to expansion, which we invariably will one day, that Seattle will be at the top of the list. I echo that and totally agree. Playing against Gary Payton and Sean Kemp in Key Arena was something special. Thank you very much, Commissioner Silver. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jalen. Last call. This week's last call is about the power of leadership. Let me state it this way. There's no successful organization or venture that can become successful without good leadership. Ever heard the phrase, a fish rots from the head down? It means that bad leadership is the root cause of an organization's failure and demise. This is true whether that organization is a country, a company, or a sports team. The theme for this episode is leadership is an action, not a position. It's not Commissioner Silver's position that makes him a great leader. It's his ability to lead from the front and his admirable actions that make him a spectacular leader. Leadership means creating and planning and looking out for and improving errors. It's also about motivating people to work together and cooperate with themselves and others to achieve a certain goal. Honesty and integrity. How can you expect your followers to be honest when you lack these qualities yourself? Leaders succeed when they stick to their values and core beliefs. Secondly, they're great communicators. It's this simple. If you're unable to communicate your message effectively to your team, you can never be a good leader. Words have the power to motivate people and make them do the unthinkable. If you use them effectively, you can also achieve better results. Lastly, they have great emotional intelligence. Leaders with emotional intelligence are great at understanding the emotions 
and care about the feelings of others. Leaders who have this leadership quality not only handle conflict in a better way, but also play an important role in conflict resolution. And remember, this is extremely important to me. What you do has a far greater impact than what you say. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.